from the Credit Union National Association. This is the CUNA News Podcast. Credit Union people. Credit Union ideas. Field of Membership Modernization is all about removing barriers and creating opportunities for consumers and businesses. It's a top priority for the CUNA League advocacy team, because language modernizing federal credit unions' field of membership regulations would allow credit unions to fill banking deserts, reach underserved and marginalized communities, and improve consumers' financial well-being. I'm Bill Merrick, Deputy Editor for CUNA News. In this episode of the CUNA News Podcast, Jason Sturrock, CUNA's Deputy Chief Advocacy Officer for Federal Government Affairs, and Emily Leidy, Chief Advocacy Officer for the Ohio Credit Union League, discuss the importance of allowing credit unions to change and adapt as an industry to meet members' evolving needs. They also explain the specifics of field of membership modernization, prospects for a legislative solution, how CUNA, leagues, and credit unions are furthering this priority, and how credit union leaders can assist in this effort. Can you tell me about your backgrounds and how you got involved in advocacy and your path to your current role today? Uh, well, Bill, I, you know, I've always been involved with politics all the way even going back to high school. So working for a member of Congress has kind of always been in the blood. Uh, even back to the 90s when I graduated from college, I worked for uh, then U.S. Senator Larry Pressler from South Dakota. Uh, we were defeated in 96. I'm giving you my age there a little bit. Uh, but then uh, it went into uh, party politics in, in through the Midwest and in the nonprofit world, uh, but came back to Capitol Hill in 2015, uh, you know, to work for uh, then Congressman Kevin Kramer from North Dakota as his comms director, foreign policy advisor, and did uh, banking and economic issues. Uh, left for a brief period of time, and then he, he asked me to come back in uh, 2017 uh, as his deputy chief uh, of staff in the House with those same issues. Uh, then uh, we were elected to the Senate in 2018 and uh, uh, went over to the Senate as his deputy chief of staff and was his uh, economic advisor and was a staffer on the Senate Banking Committee. Uh, and after you know almost six years in both the House and the Senate, uh, it kind of was just that opportunity, that one of a lifetime opportunity to come work for, for CUNA uh, and advocate on behalf of America's credit unions as as, as a rural kid who has been a credit union member since I think I was five, Black Hills Federal Credit Union in Rapid City, South Dakota, um, I've always had it in my blood uh, to be on the financial services co-op side uh, of the ledger, so to speak. I uh, began my advocacy career in the legislature uh, as a legislative aide here in Ohio. So I worked for a few members. Uh, two were in the Ohio House of Representatives and one was in the Ohio Senate. And in that role, I had the opportunity to solve constituent problems and advocate for public policy outcomes to help Ohioans improve their lives, take care of their families, live their dreams, and had looked for an opportunity to take the next level of advocating for a group of individuals or a community and saw the opportunity at the league and applied and found my way here seven years ago this month. So I'm celebrating my seventh anniversary at the Ohio Credit Union League, July 17th. And uh, all that previous professional experience translated well into the various advocacy roles I've had here at the league in the past seven years. And it's really based in influencing greater policy outcomes for Ohio credit unions and forging relationships between 
decision makers and credit union leaders to better serve their joint constituents. That's that's exactly what advocacy is, is finding that common ground between a group that needs empowerment through public policy and, and advocacy in order to better serve the group that they're serving. So very, very fortunate to, to be at the league. I drank the credit union Kool-Aid, as they all say, and I'm, I'm very glad to be here and be able to work with uh, great groups like CUNA and the leagues across the country and the various advocates uh, that all work to do great things for credit unions. Do you have any political heroes, any people you looked up to in the political realm? Oh, I'm going to probably throw, throw a curveball at some of my friends here, but, you know, um, you know, I, I am, I, I'm conservative Republican. I'm, I, I don't hide that, but I come from a Democrat family. But so growing up, I, you know, it would be John and Robert Kennedy. Um, and then, you know, growing up in the 80s, you know, Ronald Reagan, I try to, those three have kind of, kind of been my heroes, the political ilk. Uh, my bill are uh, one, I have many, I'll, I'll leave it at that. And, and they're all across the board on the partisan affiliation. It's really about the leadership qualities or the staunch conviction and ideas and beliefs and really just making the world a better place you know, the, that type of commitment. We can disagree on how to get there, but I think there's a lot of folks that are committed to that same ideal. And for me, it's Eleanor Roosevelt, mostly for her pragmatic and unrelenting ability to advocate for the forgotten, the voiceless, and the everyday person just trying to make it work for their families and for themselves while trying to find a better life. That's what we're all doing here. And that's despite her personal struggles. I know that being involved in politics back then wasn't as popular for women. And, and she had a lot of personal challenges that she overcame and channeled that energy publicly into being a, a bullish leader that never gave up the pursuit of creating a better, more equal society for people across the world, even not just here in America. It's very admirable. And I find a lot of strength in, in her conviction and her commitment and dedication, even when things are difficult. Enhancing the credit union charter is a top priority for CUNA and the leagues. How do you think field of membership modernization will do that? Well, I, I, I think, Bill, it, it, you know, it's just an updating um, to reflect uh, the realities uh, of America now from, you know, uh, you know, from when the charter, you know, you know was written, you know, and, and signed into the law into the 1930s to this point, you know, America has changed. Technology has changed. We you know, we are more urban than we are rural. The ability to have in, in today's society, you want instant access to everything. And whether it's, you know, shopping on Amazon to be able to get access to your financial institution. And, you know, we still have in this country, you know, over 20, I think it's around 27 million unbanked and underbanked Americans. And that's in the Appalachia, that's in rural America where I'm from, that's in inner city New York, inner city New York, uh, or Los Angeles. And um, there are great, great swaths of this country, both land-wise and also population-wise, that don't have easy access to financial institutions. And I, I, I'll throw banks or anything as a part of it. And, you know, if you've got to drive 130 miles where I'm from to go sign your loan papers, uh, you know, at your financial institution to close on your house, or, um, you know, in the instances of, of our larger cities, take five buses you know, in three hours just to get to your local institution when there's a credit union across the street, but because of they're a common bond uh, and you're not part of that, uh, it, it doesn't make much sense. We should be bending over backwards to get more Americans access to America's financial system and all the great work that credit unions do. And it, it's a no-nonsense 
in the way I look at it, um, you know, you know, modernization, lack of a better term, of the charter to reflect where America is, not where it was 50 or 60 years ago. And Bill, very much to, to Jason's points, you know, credit unions are creatures of the members they serve and membership needs are always shifting and adapting. I think he did a brilliant job explaining that. So modernizing how people, families, businesses can access credit unions simply just empowers communities through additional financial service options that may not be available or accessible currently to them. We have to constantly change and adapt as an industry, as a movement of people to where the people are moving and going, or else there is a a risk of being irrelevant or service disruptions or underserved needs and unmet needs that are left uh, open uh, to predatory situations, uh, a vacuum of financial services or whatever may, may occur. And what specifically do you want when it comes to field of membership modernization? I mean, uh, obviously, uh, in terms of, you know, we'd like to see the, you know, the text of the you know, House Bill 7003, which was, in, which was passed as a, a larger package, you know, uh, before the 4th of July recess, you know, to get, you know, moved by the Senate and signed into law. I mean, you know, it, 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 it helps solve many problems uh, that we see out there in getting access uh, uh, financial uh, access to financial services, uh, you know, to, you know, to these populations. I mean, you know, I, it always comes back to personal examples for me. You know, I, you know, I was, I was, you know, in a Senate office during, you know, the CARES Act and the, in, in COVID. So it, it's end of March, first part of April of 2020. Uh, and we're essentially shutting down the government and we're setting up PPP programs, you know, run through SBA, but administered, you know, through America's credit unions and in, uh, in, in, in banks. And I'm looking at my state of North Dakota and I'm like, okay, I can call Fargo. I knew who to call in Bismarck. And I'm like, I have Indian reservations. I didn't have a financial institution on a Native American reservation to have PPP loans processed through. So it was, how do we serve these populations? Because And how do you serve rural America? You know, what fixes could we, could we get done there? I mean, so it's a personal real world example to hopefully, you know, you know, get this, you know, this fix passed uh, and allow credit unions to step in and fill that void. Because, you know, when the bill passed the House, you know, to point out a vast majority of the House voted on an amendment and supported it that says nothing in the current in this in this bill in or in current law prevents banks or community banks from going into these areas and serving these people now or in the future. And so when populations are ignored or left behind, it has always been communities coming together, you know, and, and, and helping their neighbors. And that's what credit unions do. Uh, and that's why we're member run. And that, 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 that's kind of, you know, more of a genesis and a longer explanation of what we want to have accomplished and why we need it accomplished sooner rather than later. Under that same vein, Bill, personally, I would love to see flexible field of membership innovation. Uh, consumers are more transient and are being connected ex- you know, exclusively by geography or other forms of field of membership connectivity, right? School, worship, live, work. Banking, financial services is a vital service, and it just simply doesn't make sense to put a barrier around that in a digital barrierless world. Credit unions are for everyone everywhere, and people need to have easier access to financial services regardless of where they work, where they live, who they're connected to, 
where they choose to go to school. And that really is anywhere and anytime these days. And it really is opening credit unions up in different ways to any consumer and all consumers for the future. The way to get to financial well-being for all, and I stress all, is to expand field of membership because the facts are the facts. 27 million are unbanked or underserved. And we are asking, we are literally at the door, raising our hand in the classroom, you know, asking for permission to go in and serve these people. And we're being told no, because others will go in and do it. Well, it's not being done. And so credit unions with that community first focus and that neighbor helping neighbor, you know, we want to go in there and, and, and provide that, that, you know, that, that helping hand up. I mean, it's that simple. And Bill, the need for field of membership modernization in my eyes is twofold. Uh, To connect with Jason's comments, there is deep demand for financial services. Mm -hmm. Simply providing an additional market option in in credit unions empowers people to make the best choice for their personal situation and aspirations. Credit unions also need to be able to grow and expand to meet market demands, which are faster, greater, and digital these days. Field of membership is really the key that unlocks both the consumer and credit union needs, in my opinion, which will lead to building stronger communities and inherently stronger financial cooperatives too. See, listening to Emily, you know why the Ohio credit unions are doing so well. I mean. (laughs) So that's great news. The House passed HR 7003. What provisions of that tie directly to field of membership modernization? Well, what it would specifically do is, is the text that was passed, the language, you know, uh, you know, for federally chartered credit unions, um, it would allow them uh, if they are in a CDFI, uh, you know, CDFI zone, which 35% of all credit unions already are, or if for an area that is, um, you know, a, a new market tax credit or a census tract does not have, you are not within 10 miles of a brick and mortar financial institution, then a federal credit union can come in and offer services to those individuals. Um, so uh, in kind of the financial sweetener is, is that, you know, to encourage, you know, small business growth uh, and encourage credit unions to come in uh, and provide services is for all, you know, all uh, loans given in those areas for both federal and state charter, they're not going to count against your MBL cap. So asking for permission to go in and, and meet the, you know, the, the changing needs of these communities. Tag on to Jason's comments. I like to think of it in the inverse. Here's the features of the legislation, but what what might the impact be for the constituents in Congress, those those leaders serve that Ohio credit unions and credit unions across the country serve in their local communities. And it's really about empowerment, mostly in rural and urban areas that just don't have access to safe and affordable financial institutions. It also opens those new market doors to credit unions that have identified areas that have underserved and unmet financial needs, which helps diversify their outreach and their impact. And also to the points that Jason made on on member business lending caps is that this enables small businesses to have greater access to affordable capital, which was a big challenge often cited to credit unions while they were assisting small businesses during the Paycheck Protection Program. So really to put the impact back on people, which is what credit unions do, this bill is really about serving more people and small businesses to empower Main Street economies. So it's a community development, business development bill, simply put. What are prospects for passage in the Senate? Well, that's always in a 50-50 divide of the Senate. Um, that, that, that's kind of always where, you know, the rubber is going to meet the road. Um, you know, we have, you know, prior to House passage, 
Uh, you know, we have been working with multiple Senate offices to begin the process of uh, introduction of its own uh, standalone uh, field of membership legislation. We hope that will happen here in July and we continue that process. Uh, you know, I, we do know that there are there are a few Senate offices that are hoping that uh, to add uh, as an amendment to any kind of we call it must pass legislation as it, as it kind of goes by as there are a few bills that are passed uh, that, that they will work to add it in there or continue that discussion. Uh, I mean, obviously, it, it, it's not going to be an easy lift, um, but no one thought that we were going to have, uh, you know, much of a fighting chance to get it through the House. But because of that, you know, the leadership of Chairwoman Waters and others and, you know, Congress and Perlmutter, um, you know, they helped move that thing through and they got it through committee, got it as part of a larger package. And now it's in the Senate. So, you know, I, I know the phrase it's been overused in D.C. The sausage making is going on. Um, but, uh, you know, we have no greater no greater strength than the power of our leagues is exemplified by Emily, you know, in Ohio. Uh, and we will be leaning on them heavily at CUNA to help share that message of if you want to help your constituents, if you want to grow the economy, let us go in there and serve these members, these new members um, that have not had access to adequate financial services up to this point. And to Jason's points, Bill, I think that you can do all you can, which I think the CUNA League credit union system has done an incredible job putting this bill and its language in the right passage avenues to get it to where it is today in the Senate, which was not easy. It was a huge team effort from the system and it should be completely lauded and, and commended. However, I think we need to think about too the, the byproducts of partisan disagreements and political infighting when it comes to securing legislative passage. You can have a really strong bill ready to go, ready for passage. You did all your homework. You dotted all your I's, crossed all your T's, and something else is in the way. I think the Senate, you know, is, is often shifting its various focuses based on what's happening at the country at any given time. We have gun violence. We have racism, individual rights battles, foreign policy challenges, economic and uncertainty, and COVID-19 still is very present we're currently flush with all of these challenges and probably might keep the Senate's hands full a little bit. So with only so much bandwidth, I'm not sure how appetizing the bill might be, right? Depending on what's happening federally and not to mention we have an election in November too. And so everyone's looking for their political talking point on top of it. We think this would be a great one for both sides, but we don't control that messaging. So I'm hopeful that building the, the support and the coalition work behind the scenes will help elevate this in the strong, strongest possible light for passage, despite all of what's going on. It's just this uh, challenging factor that needs to be considered in that process. too. No, and Emily's a hundred percent, right? I mean, you know, you look at the calendar prior to the November election, they'll be back next week. They're there to August 5th. They're out until the middle of September for two weeks, they're back for maybe three days at the end of September, and then they're done until, you know, the week after the election. So there are very, very few days that they have legislative wise to take up floor time and Senate on this. So, you know, that's why, you know, Emily is correct to point out, you know, all the political machinations that go on behind the scene is, is the, is there a larger package that is moving that, this can get added to. And that's where the familiarization and the work that the leagues will do and the continual, you know, uh, individual credit union members talking to their senators now about the need for a passage or inclusion of the field of membership uh, you know, language 
uh, in a bill. And then you've got the lame duck session. So we have to do our work now so that there's going to be a lot of, okay, we're end of Congress. What can we all cobble together and pass as a very large, you know, catch-all where we, we don't like everything that's in it, but there's enough good versus bad and we'll vote for it. So uh, all of those discussions are actually going on now. Uh, and they'll pick up speed, uh, you know, as we approach each deadline uh, and, uh, and and after the election. Can you talk a bit about how the advocacy sausage is made and how CUNA and the leagues and credit unions are working together to uh, to further this priority? Oh, I, I, I think none of this has happened. None of our legislative victories so far, even the, you know, the advancement of field of membership happens without that close cooperation and the hard work of the leagues, whether it's you know, going to the GAC and going up to the Hill and meeting with the individual members of Congress where, you know, our legislative agenda is their number one issue in the continual communications, whether it's additional fly-ins or, you know, visits back in the state. I know Emily, a few, you know, a month or a month, you know, a couple months ago, uh, had a meeting with credit union leaders in their Columbus office with, you know, Senate banking uh, chairman, uh, Sherrod Brown, where multiple issues were talked about. I think, the, that close cooperation where we share intel back and forth and we're always moving forward. What can we do to move the bill forward? Who do we need to talk to um, is, uh, is, is important. I know, you know, we all sit on, and I'm probably not, hopefully not letting out a secret here, but, you know, we, we sit with our, you know, uh, you know, the Emily in every state, uh, you know, in our, on a lead call on every Monday and talk about, okay, here's what's happening in Congress. What can we do to work together? What's happening in the States? What help do you need from us? I think that at this point, uh, I, you know, I've not seen as close cooperation between the leagues and in and, CUNA and, and, and the federal advocacy side in a long time. And I think that's paying off in terms of the legislative victories that, 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 that we have seen. So I would agree, Bill, with Jason's comments. It's the partnership between CUNA, the leagues and the credit unions locally without it. There's no way you get something like this done. It's everybody sharing their knowledge that they have, leveraging the relationships that they've built and sustained and telling that credit union story and supplementing with data and analytics to, to prove it. it makes a huge difference when you're asking a member of Congress for a vote. The first question they ask is, well, why would I vote for this if it does not impact my district? without having that close connectivity between the, the federal level, everyone at the state level, and then the credit unions who are in the middle of serving those members, coordinating together to provide that answer in a unified and concise and robust way. It's just simply not possible uh, without that partnership. So I, I credit the system itself is very special and very cooperative and it works. This is a prime example of how what can happen when we do work together in a coordinated way. And Bill, from sitting on both sides of the aisle, both now at CUNA, but previously, you know, on the other side of the table, you know, receiving these meetings, you know, there are very few associations and partnerships uh, in Washington that can walk in and bring 80 members to a meeting. And I tell you that that's an impact because, you know, I come from a small rural state. We know where our members of Congress shop. And I guarantee you, there's a credit union member that's either their checkout person or the manager of the store. So uh, I think that, that that's uh, the, you know, the ace up the sleeve or whatever terminology you want to use that, that, that credit unions have over others is that member to member and that, that, that sense of community and neighbor helping neighbor that uh, members of Congress know that when the credit unions 
make their voice heard, um, it's, it's incredibly impactful. What's one thing a credit union leader could do today to further passage of field of membership modernization? Well, uh, thankfully, Bill will be asking him uh, to do such a thing. It's a lot of is, is you know, be willing to make that phone call, uh, be willing to, um, you know, during the August recess, invite their senator, you know, uh, in, to stop by their local credit union and talk about the issues that are important. Um, and, and, and it's it's to be persistent. To don't say somebody else will do it. It's like, or I'm just a small credit union. I'm not. I'm not a big one that that they'll really listen to. No, I they they listen to all of them uh, because you know you're their constituents and and the the willingness to stand up and say you know what I'm going to make my voice heard to make that phone call to talk to the district director or the state director in in, in a senate office. So um, it's just that willingness. You know, we work with Emily. <laughs> if you need talking points or. Or, or, or all of that kind of background help were there. We just don't have the impact of saying, you know, Senator Kramer, you know, from North Dakota, Senator Kramer, you know, I'm James, I run town and country in Jamestown. Oh yeah, you know, I just saw that you finished some construction, you know, all that type of stuff. It's, it, it's different. It's, it's, they're, they're from that area uh, and the impact that that makes uh, and that personal ask of, I'm not just a lobbyist, asking for you to vote for this. I'm your constituent. I'm your friend. I'm your neighbor. I'm your high school, uh, you know, uh, track uh, colleague. That's incredibly impactful. And I've seen Emily do it so many, many times up on the Hill. And to, to Jason's point, among simply telling your story and, and forging those connections, my two things, it's more than one, it's two, and it's identify and optimize. Before you actually make that ask of Congress, you need to be working to identify barriers to member service and growth and tell your league in CUNA why their removal would help your credit union meet its mission. We also are not practitioners. I've never worked in a credit union, and I don't know the challenges that come with field of membership at, at times unless a credit union leader identifies it and tells us, and then we can do something with it. The other side of the coin is, is when we do make these asks, we do get new authorities, receive new powers. And I say we, as in the credit unions, you have to optimize that member service. The legislature here in Ohio and in Congress works really hard to pass legislation when they pass it and they do that work. Maybe somebody went on a limb for you by not taking advantage of that new authority and putting it to work in the local community, it's really hard to go back and make that next ask. And especially if it's when shortly thereafter, you're asking for something else and you haven't done anything with that new thing they just gave you, mm -hmm. uh, oversimplifying it. But really it is putting to work the authority given to you as a credit union leader into your community, showing that impact, illustrating the difference it's made for the constituents showing that you appreciate the ability to do what you're now currently doing really provides a lot of support for that next ask. Say, hey, remember when we did X and, and look at all the amazing work we did for all these constituents you serve? We think we can do more over here too if you just work with us. It really does help when they do optimize, when credit union leaders actually optimize the authorities given to them by Congress and by their state legislatures. And to yeah. kind of build off what Emily said, Bill, I, I cannot stress the importance, and this is a little insider baseball from the Hill, but I, I once heard, you know, a, a member of Congress say that and say this is like, 
what can you do to help me get the less angry people calling my office? And that's why if, if we can go through and help improve their lives or get the, you know, so they don't call and complain, I mean, it's kind of like any customer service. It's like, okay, what are we done to lessen the amount of angry phone calls that we get on a daily basis? Um, you know, Emily's right. You know, if we take advantage uh, of the expansions uh, and or the, you know, kind of the additional powers that we're given, they will improve people's lives and we can walk then walk back into those offices and say, you thank you for your support on X. This why happened. This is why we need your help on the Z. And they're more likely to be with you if you can show those tangible results from back home. What impact ultimately could field of membership modernization have on underserved communities? I honestly, I think, Bill, it, it can be life-changing for many of them. And I can't give it like it will impact X amount of people. I mean, obviously, it's it, it's a decision that the credit union would make to go in and serve these areas. But I just want to relate an example that I heard from a credit union leader on, on, on an earlier call today where they talked about that, you know, they have an individual who comes and does gardening at their house once a month um, and they had an old pickup truck and that they then went out uh, and got a new one and was so proud of it and talked about how the fact that they only had to pay 20% interest. And it's like, well, wait a minute. You know, they, they, they were not, they were not a member of a bank. They never put, you know, they, you know, or a credit union, they never interacted with the financial institutions in this country. And they were just like, wow, it was 20%, but look how they were so proud that they got it. And then that individual said, you know, we're going to go down to the local credit union and get it refinanced and all that type of stuff. So, you know, that, that, that type of ability to, you know, that, that first time interacting with a small business owner or an individual and setting up their checking account or helping get their first business loan with competitive rates and treating them like their neighbor is incredibly important. So I would say that we will have more of those stories than anything else uh, when field of membership passes and we're able to go in and serve these underserved communities. And I like to imagine what would an underserved community look like if they had a credit union? People living in that community could avoid cashing checks at for-profit locations that charge high fees to access their hard-earned paychecks. Underserved communities could have an alternative to predatory lending options that currently fill financial institution vacuums and bury working people under heavy compounding debt. And underserved communities could find respite in a local financial institution, a credit union that is willing to work with them so they can achieve their dreams, whatever they may be. It's really about the possibilities for living your best life and having access to a credible, an affordable, and a consumer-friendly member-owned credit union can open those doors for a lot of folks that don't have that opportunity right now. Is there anything else you'd like to touch on? The only thing, and it's to build off kind of, you know, some of Emily's comments about, you know, that willingness to get involved and to also share information back uh, about good things that are happening, bad things that are happening, how we at CUNA can work with our leagues to help make the changes that our credit unions need to be able to accomplish our shared mission and our shared goal of providing better financial services to the communities that we live in. And Bill, I would just like to acknowledge the CUNA League System's cooperation and their work on building and leading public policy efforts to improve people's lives and communities through credit unions. We want to talk specifics. HR 7003 is a great opportunity to showcase. We've talked a little bit about that, that partnership and, and it's how special it is and its difference that it makes. 
But Jeremy Umpel and the California and Nevada credit unions deserve much of the credit for this bill and their leadership in working with Chairwoman Waters. CUNA has done an excellent job activating the leagues across the country to work directly with their congressional leaders to secure passage for this important modernization effort. And there was a big lift from dozens of credit union leaders that directly engaged with members of Congress, shared their passion for serving more people. Just think we have a very special and cooperative system that makes credit union advocacy possible, and that's easy to champion if you're in it. We're doing it right now through this conversation. Thanks for listening to the CUNA News Podcast. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher Radio. 